We're all about great causes here at Sex and Space. Today's shout out is for the wonderful Tutama Wahini or Taranaki. They're a Tangata Whenua development and liberation organization helping meet the needs of Fano with services and activities based in education, justice, health, community, and social development. Their services are free, accessible, and confidential to all individuals in Fano. Check them out at tutamawahini.org.nz. Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Tim, and welcome to another episode of Sex in Space, here relentlessly exploring sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Really hope you're all well out there in podcast land and ready for another great interview. Before we climb in, just a reminder to nip over to our Instagram page and hit us up with a follow. We're at sexandspace.com. That's all one word, sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. Also, we're creating and sharing some video content from our interviews as well, including some exclusive clips. They'll be on or around our social pages, but the best place to find those is our YouTube channel. You can find the link to that in the footer of our website at sexandspace.com. Once we hit 100 subscribers, we'll be able to change the YouTube URL to something a bit easier to find. But if you do find it, if you could hit subscribe while you're there, that would be grand. This week, we've got our very own Dr. Jane talking to the amazing Sonia Renee Taylor. I couldn't possibly do a better job than Jane did introducing Sonia, so I'm not even going to try. I'll just say that she's awesome. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Let's climb on in. And now, the interview. Sonia Renee Taylor, founder and radical executive officer of The Body Is Not An Apology, which I have listened to so many times now. It's permanently in my brain. I I love love it. it. (laughs) A digital media and education company promoting radical self-love and body empowerment as the foundational tool for social justice and global transformation. Sonia's work as a highly sought-after award-winning performance poet, activist, and transformational leader continues to have global reach. A former national and international poetry slam champion, and honestly worth checking out her poetry readings for that alone, it is um, sensational to hear. Thanks. (laughs) A force to be reckoned with. And um, two books, as well as the workbook. So I guess that's three books, It's actually six books. Oh, my Lord. Your website needs an update. I need to update, yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you about that, definitely. Um, And um, as an educator and thought leader, you work across really diverse communities, educators and um, across um, boardrooms, prisons, um, homeless shelters, universities, elementary schools. That's quite a a wide audience you're dealing with right there. And um, on some of the biggest stages in the world... And here with us in our humble studio, <laughs> in a very long way away from anywhere, in Aotearoa, yeah. 
Amazing. Thank you. We feel incredibly honoured that you're here with us. Aww, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's um, the other amazing thing is that you live here. I do. <laughs> Maybe uh, we'll come back to that yeah. because we've had some curiosity from okay. the team, one of whom lives <laughs> in the same place, as to why you would. <laughs> It's always so different when you come in versus when you're yeah, already. Yeah, definitely. Right? <laughs> so obviously we want to talk about your work and to give it space to be engaged with by others and to explore what it means, where it's going. Yeah. Um, it's very political, your work, and it starts with the body. Yeah. Can you maybe explain for those who don't know your work or understand it? Um, how you would explain it if you were maybe in an elementary school? How yeah. do you explain it to that group? Um, so hmm, that's great. I don't know if I have I explained my work to elementary school students. Maybe. Um, so I would definitely say that I talk about how um, how how we feel about not only our bodies but ourselves, the fullness of our identities, um, in all the ways that that exists, whether that is your size or your race or your age or your gender or your um, abilities or disabilities, any of those sorts of things, how we feel about those things impacts not only us, but how does it also impact the world? How does it impact whether or not everybody has resources and opportunities and a fair chance to succeed in life? Um, and what can we do to shift how we really understand our own bodies and our identities to love them more? use this framework I call mm. radical self-love. How do we embody radical self-love in, in a way that on, not only changes how we experience our own bodies, but also helps to disrupt the systems that keep us from all being allowed to have all the same opportunities and access and love in the world. If I were saying it to a fifth grader, I think that's how I'd say it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So when it comes to... Because like fish in water analogy, right? Yes, Culture. totally. So when it comes to um, the light bulb moment, mm -hmm. how do you help people grasp that idea of yeah. embodied living of culture? Absolutely. So what I think I try to remind people is that we that this framework of radical self-love that I talk about is not something outside of us. It's not something we have to figure out how to attain. Hmm. It's actually how we all arrived here. And the way that I help people grasp that is like, I just want you to think about a toddler, like your, yeah. your current three-year-old in your life somewhere in the world, right? That kid is totally in love with themselves. <laughs> that yeah. kid thinks they're awesome. They think their body is awesome. They think their identity is awesome. They think it's really cool that you are who you are too. Yeah. They're curious about it without judgment or shame. That is the way that we all arrived here. That's actually the human default status. That's right. our factory setting. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is somewhere between that time and adulthood, we start being fed messages that tell us that that default setting is inaccurate. Right. Right. That actually there is something wrong with us, that we're not enough this or we're too much that across a multitude of, you know, ways of being. Mm. And so I... The work is about helping us identify what are those messages that we have taken in? What are the, where do they come from in our world? And how have we started to believe them yeah. in such a way that we no longer remember our factory setting? Right. <laughs> that we no longer remember that inherent sense of worthiness and enoughness that we all arrived here as. So how do we get back to that? That's the, the crux of my work. And how I hope that that moment drops us back to, right, oh, there was some point where I, too, you know, was the toddler, not worried right. about my thighs. 
<laughs> I was there at some point. Yeah. Oh, what do I need to do to get back? And then my work is about helping us figure out yeah. how we get back. That's really cool. And um, it's so densely packed with learning and years of exploring and, and developing your thoughts around this. Yeah. How did you start this journey? What took you here? You know, it's, I think I've been trying myself to like find a moment. There are lots of individual moments that feel like pieces in a puzzle. Yeah. Right. Like, and so perhaps the, the full image of the puzzle, which I imagine is still being, <laughs> is still being put together. Um, but it was always supposed to be that, you know, like I think radical self-love was always going to be the thing that was going to ignite me, ignite my passions. Um, I don't know if I would have used that language for it, right? but, but beauty and humans and understanding ourselves um, and, and how do we get through thinking that somehow something's wrong with us mm. has always been something I found myself interested in. I think as a, um, you know, I grew up in the U S um, to teenage parents um, there were, you know, addiction issues in my family. And so these were questions I was always asking, like, oh, what, you know, what are the decisions that, you know, or what are the thoughts that are impacting, you know, my parents' choices right now? These choices right. that aren't allowing them to show up to us the way that we would need. Right. What is that? And so there was, there was always been that curiosity for me. And then I think my 10 million fascinatingly, seemingly divergent paths <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> have always sort of been course correcting me back to this conversation. Right. Um, but sort of one of the, I think one of the specific puzzle pieces was, you know, I was making my living as a performance poet uh, and I was in a poetry slam in Tennessee with some friends. And I talk, I talk about this in the beginning of the book. Uh, and I'm having a conversation with a friend who's afraid she has an unintended pregnancy. Mm. Um, and I'm the nosy friend. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm asking my friend about her sexual health choices. And I ask her why she wasn't using condoms with this casual partner. I knew it was a casual partner. And my friend had a disability. And she said her disability made it difficult for her to be sexual, so mm. she didn't feel entitled to ask this person to use a condom. Right. And it, I'm very clear that whatever I said next was not a conscious statement, right. right? It was, I like to say it was through me, not of me, right? right? Like something was just like, hey, this is what you're supposed to say right now. And I said, your body is not an apology. It's not mm. something you offer to someone to say, sorry for my disability. And when I said that, something got made. You yeah. know, and I, of course, I couldn't know at that time what it was making, but I was like, hmm, that felt real in a way like that wasn't just for you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it feels like it wants to be something more than just this thing I just said to you. Yeah. Uh, and so it became a poem. And then uh, the poem sort of, I think, began directing me. The poem began saying, hey, Sonia, where are the places where you're not, where you're still apologizing? Right. You know, where are the places where you're not in alignment with the words you're speaking on these stages? Ooh, okay. Uh, and and one of them was a little selfie in my phone that I felt beautiful and saucy and delicious in and really afraid to share and really afraid of what I call the outside voice inside of us, the voice yeah. that is not our own, but is this voice of indoctrination. You're too much. You're too dark. You're too fat. Don't share that photo. 
Um, and But that was bumping up against the body is not an apology. Right. The body is not an apology. And so that friction, that yeah. tension, that discomfort um, was sort of the opening for action. And someone had posted a plus-sized model's photo on my Facebook page, and she was really hot. And so I went to Google her, because that's what I do when I see really hot people. Uh, <laughs> and she was wearing um, a very similar outfit in a Google ah. picture to the one I'd been hiding in my phone. And that was the, it was the spark. That was what I needed to feel like I had permission to not listen to the outside voice right. and instead to listen to the inside voice. And so I posted the photo, and I asked other people to share pictures um, because I'm kind of, I like to say I'm like a really, if I wasn't for radical self-love, I don't know, I'd be a terrible cult leader because <laughs> I really am just like, always like, hey, how can I convince other people to do this thing? Uh, and so um, I asked other people to share photos where they felt also empowered and powerful and beautiful in their bodies. 30 people tagged me in photos the next day. And I was like, oh, maybe we just need a place where we're allowed to have, you know, this unapologetic way of being in our bodies. I'll start a little Facebook page and I've got this poem. I'll call it the body's not an apology Perfect. since I've got this Facebook, since I've got this poem already. Um, and that was, that was the inception point. Amazing. Yeah. And then moving through those layers as you have to the body is not an apology, but deeply yeah. that, that deeply loving mm -hmm. where you are, who you are, what yeah. you have. Yeah. How was that trajectory shaped? I think that it began unveiling itself. Like I said, that the body is not an apology led me to, it's all been a series of inquiries, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, well, the body is not an apology. Well, what have I been apologizing for? Right. Oh, right. There are ways I apologize for my weight all the time. Like that's always the sort of front of mind one. It's the one people think about so often because we associate weight with body size. Right. Um, or we we associate bodies and body size as the way we understand bodies. Yeah. Um, and so, but I kept digging into the question. So it was like, well, yeah, certainly we apologize about weight, but I also am always feel like I'm being asked to apologize for being too dark, for being black. What are the ways that shows up? Oh, there are ways I'm being told I should apologize for being a woman. Yeah. How does that show up? Oh, and then I just started going down the list like, oh, there's a lot of apologies we're, <laughs> we're out here issuing. Yeah. And what is that about? Oh, I can. I, mm -hmm. So for me, it just started being like, I see a pattern here. This pattern is that there are ways in which we've said there are bodies, ways that are body, ways that we have bodies that are good. And there are ways that we have bodies that are less good. Mm. And we believe it. Yeah. And what would and does that actually make any sense? No. Like, when we really sit with it, that's the most nonsensical thing in the world. You have a wrong body. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? But but we've all sort of bought into it. And we've constructed a world around it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how we, we're humans, right? We make we tell stories. We tell stories. In order to make sense of yeah. who we are and how to be. And so here we are in and of that culture still getting information in micro doses all the time yeah. about what we should wear and how we should look and mm -hmm. you know um just that constant shaping doesn't go away no. how do you reconcile that being in and of at the same time yeah. when you're at a moment like for example wearing makeup oh that's of the culture hang on yeah um versus hmm not wearing it it's yeah. those moments of interrogation that sort of seem like a both and yeah and i think they are indeed a both and i think you know 
both and is such an important way to orient ourselves right. in the world. And we don't like that. We were like, no, I want an either or. <laughs> Make it binary, baby. <laughs> Make it binary, please. <laughs> and, you know, I think what what the ethos of radical self-love asks us to do is say, it's not about the what I'm doing. The question is why. Right. And can I get to my why? Can I get honest about my why. And if I can get honest about my why, then I can be truthful about mm. this is actually a total message I was sold, right. <laughs> you know, from the culture, from my family, from wherever. Yeah. And it doesn't actually align with my true self. So what's my true self say? You know, like I, I talk about, I'm unapologetically adorned. I, you, you will catch me. I mean, if you could see me right now. Oh my God. Anybody who can't, she's gorgeous. <laughs> I, I, mean, I got earrings. I got glasses. I got lipstick. I drew on my eyebrows today. I love, I got fake eyelashes on. I love um, adornment. Yeah. Um, but I had to work through my own why mm. to really get to, is this an authentic expression of myself or is this me presenting um an image that is in alignment with what society says I should be. Yeah. And, and part of the way that I get to test that is what happens when I don't. Yeah. What, how am I when I walk into this space with nothing on, but some sweatpants and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I know now today, because I'm just as willing to do this conversation in my purple bathrobe as I am <laughs> to do it in my lashes. And that's how I know, like for myself, it's like, right, these things aren't, there's no value judgment. There's no weighted comparison yeah. for me about either state. It's just which one feels the truest for me today. Yeah. Yeah. And do I know I'm enough in any of those states? That comparison thing um, mm -hmm. you talk about, the way in which radical self-love leads to um, accept other. Yeah. For what other is that's yeah. a really important thing talk to us a little bit about that absolutely so I mean I think I I try to be really really transparent about why I do this work uh and I'm like I love people I want everybody to feel good about themselves I would not dedicate <laughs> the last decade of my life <laughs> to yeah. tending to people's individual self-esteem there's got to be something in it for me I am not altruistic <laughs> and so what I see in it for me is that again, we have used these um, these ideas of bodies that are good and bodies that are not good, and we have structured a world. We have structured a political world, an economic mm. world, a cultural world, um, and systems. Yeah, right. Based off of those ideas. Yeah, which means that some people who fall into bodies that we decide are good will have greater access in those areas yeah. of life. And the bodies that we decide are not good will have less access, sometimes no access. Yeah. And so I just, you know, being very honest about my own positionality, there are some places where I fall into the good body category. I'm ambulatory. I have all my working limbs. I don't have any visible disabilities, right? That's, that's the better body in this model. I'm also fat and black and dark skinned. Those are not the bigger, you know, those are not the good body templates in our society, mm. which means that there are places where resource and access and opportunity are limited for yeah. my body and for other bodies like mine and limited for people whose bodies are even more marginalized inside of that system. Yeah. So I have a vested interest in helping us recognize 
where we are plugged into that system so that we might unplug. Because when we unplug, I get greater opportunity. Yeah. I get greater access. And the truth is, we all do. And that's the win. I think yeah. I've always gotten that, like, I mean, it's the reason I think I'd be a cult leader is because I'm very clear that it's not just me. You know, I'm like, it's not just, oh, Sonia wins if we disrupt the system. It's like, I'm part of an entire kaleidoscope of humanity. Yeah. My hunch is we all win if we undo it. Yes. Actually, you know, they do say that um, it's starting a religion that you can do. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> really successful at. So, you know, I think, frankly, I think there's room for starting something that gives us an alternative space to ground spiritually. These exactly. Days. There's a, such yeah. a hole there. Yes, and that's, I think that is exactly where, you know, that's where we're disconnected from our radical self-love. Mm. That thing that we experience as a whole, I don't think is actually a whole. I think it's buried You know, it's like, oh, I remember what my bed looked like before I put seven, you know, pounds of laundry on it. And now I don't remember what my bed looks like underneath it. Well, what would happen if I take some of that off and then I can get back to what's actually there? Mm. And I think this work is about a a call to do that. Can we get back to to source? Um, And and in that way, it is for me very deeply spiritual work Mm. Um, and very aligned to a whole bunch of spiritual teachings that already exist. Yeah, it's like there's a whole ecosystem that becomes visible when you start to look or work in this space of grounding in an embodied way in the world as well as in our own bodies, in nature as well as in our own bodies. Absolutely. Yeah, amazing work. I I think I'd probably join your cult. Yay! (laughs) I'm a very nice cult leader. And what does your family think about this? Are you still connected? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a, you know, it's been a beautiful journey. I think, you know, I really appreciate my family because they have always, from the time I was a little girl, just sort of uh, accepted my <laughs> kind of ridiculousness in the ways that it has shown up uh, inside of the family dynamic. You know, I was the nine-year-old who was like, we have to stop using styrofoam. Brilliant. We're killing the planet. <laughs> and my grandmother's like, girl, if you don't get the paper plates and fix the food. <laughs> you know, so there's always been that um, that part of me. Right. And, and that was never squashed inside of my family. There was always a like... That's Sony and uh, and a real acceptance of it. But it's been really beautiful over the last, I would say, five years where I think my family is starting to understand my work, not as uh-huh. like, that's just the thing Sony does. Um, and instead, it's like, oh, there's something in this for me. Right. There's a way that, oh, this is a message that isn't just, you know, for those people out there. Yeah. Oh, I could be on my own radical self-love journey. That's like, pretty cool. Yeah, you can. And so it's been really beautiful to watch that blossom inside of my family. Where did the poetry love come from? Did you find that in books or is there, are there other poets in the family? Um, no, I think I'm the only poet in the family. And yeah, I think I fell in love with Shel Silverstein when I was like seven uh, in the book Where the Sidewalk Ends. And then I was like, oh, you can just tell really cool stories with words right. and the more you know, the cooler the words are, the cooler the story is, I want to do that. Uh, And I think I knew very early on that uh, language just really made me excited. It's amazing stuff. Yeah. Very potent. It's, I mean, I say there are few things in the world that are able to create and destroy at equal capacity Mm. than the word. And the ones we carry in our own heads, right? Exactly. Mm. 
Do you have a current favorite poem or one that you're working on at the moment? Uh, of my own? Yeah. Um, no, so I mean, I'm, I've actually, unfortunately, been kind of far away from poetry writing oh. for a while. I think books come and suck up the space right. where poems used to live. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, it's like asking a mother her favorite yes, child, right? <laughs> uh, but there are. I still love what the body is not an apology yeah. does in the world. Um, there are. Um, there's a a piece that I wrote for Planned Parenthood. 100th uh, anniversary for their centennial uh, they commissioned me to write a piece and I really love it I love the yeah I love the unfolding of the story it starts off um, talking about a lineage of a great grandmother and then a grandmother oh, nice. and then a mother and then it takes us into the future uh, and I really like the arc of that piece but yeah I you know I like them all <laughs> yeah well um, I saw your um, performance of um, the one about Resistance, which was the human chain. Oh, bodies of resistance. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That was very beautiful. Thank you. Your stuff's so powerful. I'm sure you'll get back to writing more. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but with the books that you've been writing, one of the things that I found very powerful was your workbook. Yeah. Um, how um, did you come to do that piece? Because that's a really useful tool. Yes. Yeah. So for me, the work is always lived inside of the space of the doing space. Right. I'm very clear that we could talk about these things forever, but if of we don't course. practice them, we're going to be, you know, struggling. And so when we wrote the first, when I wrote the first edition um, with my publishers, Bear Kohler, who are awesome, they're just a beautiful medium-sized publisher in California, independent. And they approached me and said, they, uh, my editor at the time heard me on a podcast. Right. <laughs> And was like, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book about this? So in some ways, I was having the conversation similar to the one right. we're having. And they and she was like, mm, I hear a book in that. Yeah. <laughs> and <was> so, right. <laughs> so she, she asked me if I'd be down. And I was like, sure. And so when I wrote the first edition of The Body is Not an Apology, I wrote it like a handbook. Right. You know, the intention was I put 10 tools in the back. Yep. Here are practical applications. I scatter questions we should ask ourselves throughout the book. I wanted it to be, I was like, I hope it's just raggedy and the pages are bent from people and they keep it in their back pocket and they're like, oh, I just thought about this. I always wanted that experience. And so in the uh, late 2019, my publishers came back and said, hey, would you be interested in writing a second edition uh, and a workbook? Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, Sure. <laughs> sure. And by that time, enough people had uh, read the book and were starting to employ some of these ideas. Right. Uh, and there were deeper questions. People said, all right, well, I feel like I'm really starting to get it for myself. How do I turn this into work around others? How do yeah. I now take it outside yeah. of me? And I was like, okay, that's a thing we can focus on in this second edition, but I don't want to lose the practical application piece of this. Right. So let's pull the 10 tools out. Let's expand them. Let's do a deep dive into that piece. Right. So that now people have both. Now people can say, I'm here doing this work on me. And I also have this companion piece that is about, all right, now how do I turn this externally and begin to tinker with these systems and structures I've been indoctrinated into as well. Some of the exercises in there are very um, clever hmm. and very powerful. One um, particularly was a fascinating experience, the piece on um, imagining something you were shamed by when you were very young yeah. and inviting that feeling in yeah. and sitting with it. Mm -hmm. And then feeling what happened. Yeah. 
uh, that was an extraordinary experience because mm. what happened was actually relief, mm. which was amazing. And then I realized this this stuff is turbocharged. Yeah, like, um, yeah. So, um, one, I mean, kudos for Thank you. such amazingly usable tools. And two, um, how how do you how would you suggest anybody listening is thinking hey i could do with some work i need some tools (laughs) how how might they tackle this because there's a lot going on in that book yes yes Uh, so i mean one i'm so curious i'd love to know more about this feeling of relief that comes up uh yeah i imagine that part of you know certainly part of the intention is that when we let in the thing we've been trying to keep out, because that's really what it is, is it's like, oh, it was horrible, it was painful, I'd like to never think about that again. Yeah. Except that it's constantly knocking at our internal walls, like, right. remember me, acknowledge me. Actually, I'm over here dictating a lot of the ways you move through life, yes. <laughs> you know? And what would happen if we just met each other again? Yeah. You know, so I think that's part of at least the intention in that exercise. I think, you know, so often we get these workbooks of whatever kind and and we treat them like a a course. I'm going to do yeah. this one. I'm going to do that one. I'm going to do that one. I'll be done. <laughs> and I really encourage yes. us. <laughs> I want to encourage us to not do that, to actually just what does it look like to say, I'm not, I don't, I, there's no timeline to complete this. Yeah. Right. Like how long do I really need to be in this section, hmm. in this inquiry? Because this is the one that's really intense and big. So let me allow myself to just be here and and let what comes up comes up, mm. you know, and, and explore how it shifts my relationship dynamics in my family or with my friends. What does it do and outside in the world when I'm working? How do I... How do I show up different yeah. as a result of engaging this? And can I really let myself take the time to be with that, process it fully, and then say, okay, I did that. What's next? Yeah. Rather than, you know, treating it like a course we got to get yeah. through. Yeah. No, that's, I think, sage advice. <laughs> you, it's fine. You can go back and do it again. No, uh, well, exactly. You do what you need, yeah. when you need. Exactly. And, but also it struck me, it would be quite, it reminded me a bit, um, I was um, too young for this, but, but what was going on in the 70s where women got together, mm-hmm. and I don't want to make this exclusionary in any way, it was just what was happening at that time. Yeah. Um, and they would have conversations yeah. about such questions, and yeah. out would come the mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so things got explored, bodies, thoughts, ideas, and it feels like the sort of book that could be used in that way. Absolutely. Where people get together and support each other to explore. It's been really beautiful. People are using it that way. People mm. come to me all the time and say, oh, we started this collective and we're meeting today and we're going through the exercises. And so I absolutely encourage per tool number nine, be in community. (laughs) I absolutely encourage people to find, find your, you know, find your folks and do it together, go through the process together and support each other in it. Yeah. I love to find your folks. Yeah. Um, That's important and meaningful for people who feel disenfranchised from what should be their folks. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And um, is it, um, do I remember rightly that there's some work in trying to look at a version to work with children? So there is, you know, I certainly have been doing, ch- dabbling in the children's workspace. Yeah. Um, it It's possible that down the line there'll be something that's more of a kind of uh, middle grade, perhaps, mm. function. I'm working on a book right now 
um, called The Book of Radical Answers that I know you already know. (laughs) Um, That is me answering questions sourced from young people between 10 and 14 about everything, about bodies and life and politics and race and gender and all the subjects that we talk about inside of the body is not an apology. What are the questions that young people have around it? And me answering from my sort of fairy godmother, Auntie Sonia, (laughs) radical self-love lens. Um, And so that is one of the ways that I think I'm I'm trying to see. I'm so much more interested in saying, how do we just weave this into everything young people are already doing? Rather than you know making it this this big exceptional thing right here, yeah. Let's talk about radical self love in this little container. And I'm like, no. What happens when radical self love becomes the 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 conversation sitting setting the foundation for all of the conversations? Right. Yeah. That book sounds like it does that work. It uh, that's certainly the goal. If I can get done with it. <laughs> ah, when's it due out? <laughs> um, it late 2022. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's one that we'll definitely be buying. Awesome. I would recommend <laughs> anybody who's involved with young people to do the same. I love the idea of using questions um, as the basis for putting out yeah. bite-sized pieces of response. Yeah. And we're looking at doing some of that with the work we're doing with sex, is to say, what are people Googling? What are they asking? Exactly. And the thing that's come up more than anything else, am I normal? Am I it's in it's so many of the questions that I got from young people are, are am I normal? Yeah. Um, and I just like to trouble the question of normal. What does that well, even exactly. mean? Exactly. So our next mean? book is going to be what is normal because there is no such thing. Exactly. As our qualitative researcher says, as our quant researcher says. Yes. Blow that one up. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, but that hunger to understand am I am I okay? Yeah. Is there something wrong with me? Underpins. The logic of everything you're doing. Absolutely. Right? And, the, and the goal of the work is to say, what if all difference is valuable and beautiful and perfect and necessary? And so all the ways that you are different is valuable and needed and necessary in the world. Um, I think that's what it is that I want young because there's a moment, like I said, where we get that and then we stray away from it. Mm. Right. School. I have a I have a friend right now who's staying with me, and she is unschooling her children. Ah. Uh, and I was like, right, there's a whole set of beliefs and ideas that her kids just don't even have yet, because that structure, right, where those things start to seep in, isn't in their lives. Yeah. And so, you know, while they're exploring these ideas, that like you're different, so you're wrong hasn't started happening yet. And I'm like, oh, how do we protect it? Yeah. <laughs> how do we protect that? How do we, you know, really just keep it so that it just grows as they grow? Um, and so, yeah, that's some of the stuff that I'm hoping uh, my work in the younger, you know, in the younger human space uh, can do. Uh, it sounds amazing. Actually, it reminds me of another piece of work I'm doing at the moment is looking at the future of education. Mm. And I was looking at a couple of schools in the UK that um, run democratically. So Mm. the students and the teachers, there is no them us. Ah. There are no bells. They run the school together. Really interesting system. That's really cool. There's only two of them in the UK. Fascinating. um, And it's about doing it in a radically different way. And I would love to... There's um, One of them was set up in 1921, amazingly. Why did my parents not know? Right. <laughs> I'm like, how did, how did I miss this? They would remember it again. But I wonder what those kids became like, the ones yeah. who were there from the beginning. Where have they gone? What have they done? Fascinating. What's their story? Ah, I, yeah. Someone's got to 
have, somebody has to. Yeah, write. I was like, someone is has to have chronicled that someplace. Well, I, I'm going to investigate because yeah. I'm you know interested in outcomes too. Like, does this produce a long term? Because I suspect the answer is yes. Yeah. I hope the answer is yes. Right. <laughs> Certainly. <I> mean, <laughs> And exactly. So yeah, what does that look like? Mm. Um, and it would be interesting, I guess, to understand at some level when people experience and go through the world that you're in and create for people, um, what happens to them at the other side yeah. of that in some of those stories. Yeah, definitely. I'm assuming that they're probably telling you every day. I mean, I certainly get a lot of really beautiful feedback yeah. about how the work is living in people. And, you know, one of the things that is pretty consistent that people report is they come back to it later in a new level. A new layer is revealed to them. Right. Oh, like, great. I, I took that first layer off. Oh, here's the next layer. Right. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, it's like, you know, I, I think about it as the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory oh, yeah. movie. It's the never, uh, the everlasting gobstopper. Oh, yes, yes. Right? <laughs> so, like, radical self-love work is the everlasting gobstopper of human transformation. If we keep exploring it, it's just going to keep giving us new layers. That's certainly been true in my own journey. And I think we have to keep doing it because of what we live in. Exactly. You know, it's always, there's work of undoing it even as we do. In real time, time, right? In, in real, real time. time. Absolutely. Yeah. And part of the um, books that you've written is the book on puberty, but you mentioned six books. What else? Yeah, have you so there's, oh my goodness. So there is a, <laughs> there's a poetry <laughs> collection that was my ah. very first book uh, that, you know, I don't know, five people have that book. I think some places in the world. Is it still available? It is. Apparently people are selling it on Amazon for like $500. Don't do that. I don't even, but it is out of print. It's definitely out of print. Um, and then there's the first and second editions of The Body's Not an Apology, and I count them as two books because they're different. Right. And then the workbook. Yep. And um, and then wait a minute, I'm skipping something. So poetry, first and second co- editions, uh, the workbook. What am I? I'm forgetting a book. Oh, you know what it is. I'm counting the book of radical answers. I just came uh. out with um, a co-edited um, handbook and uh, the. Sorry, the International Handbook of Fat Studies with myself and Dr. Kat Pauze. Um, it is a academic um, compilation of some of sort of the world's foremost thinking, um, both of academics and activists around fat studies. Right. Uh, and so it's it's a really fascinating and powerful uh conversation about right. our relationship to fatness, fatness and its political uh, experience and landscape and fatness in the academy. It's really, uh, so that just came out in April as well. Interesting. Yeah. And then that there's sounds... the book of radical answers on its way. So I think uh, that's yeah. number six. <laughs> and with your... Oh no, 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 no. And then the, ch- the children's yeah. puberty book. Yeah. So the book of radical answers is actually number seven on its way. Yeah. Which uh. definitely looking forward to. Roll yeah. along. 22. <laughs> Not trying to get rid of my life. But. Fair enough. <laughs> and so with the um, book on puberty, yeah. which was beautifully done, one of the things we've talked about, which was maybe in, in my head a gap, but maybe not in yours, yeah. um, was around pleasure. Absolutely. And so was that a really deliberate absence in the book? It's a deliberate absence, but not one of choice. Right. So the I was approached by a publisher ah. to, write a, to, to write a puberty book. And... Um, in some ways, if they're actually more of a tech company than they are a publishing house. They, 
um, have software that crawls the web and says, what are people searching for that doesn't exist? Right. And what people wanted was a body positive children's puberty book. Uh, and so they were like, would you be willing to write this? And I was like, sure. And then, you know, I had my visions about what would, what would go in that book. Right. And they had their visions about what would go in that book. Um, and, you know, at the time I was under the kind of constraints in which I right, was right. willing to make some concessions that I don't think I would ever make again. And some of those were that they were very clear that they did not want this book to talk about sex. Right, right. Got you. Um, or anything sexual. Right. Uh and and so it is not the radical book I would write, which I think is in some reasons why the book of radical answers is coming into the right. world. Because I was like, what would what what would Sonya, without any constraints, say to young people? And so that's the space for that. But I did feel like, given what is in the market right now, which oftentimes is like a hey, here's this awful thing that's about to happen to you, you know. Yeah. But here, let's give you some information so you know you don't feel so awful. I was like, that's if that's the only angle <laughs> that, right. that's in the market right now, anything is better than that. And so, okay, what what can I do in this space that I think would be helpful? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I dedicated the that book to my cousin who at the time was going through precocious puberty. You know, so she was oh, nine wow. years old and drastically taller than everyone in her class and developing breasts and really starting to have Tough. all of these, you know, these fears about this changing body. And I was like, what, what would I want her to know? Right. You know, and so that's that was my effort in that book. Yeah, it's a beautifully realized effort. And I knew there had to be a story behind yeah, that yeah. absence. So that's the <laughs> yeah. story, right? Yeah. I'm, you know, what I'm grateful about is that people understand my work enough that they notice that and they're like, mm, something's up. Something's weird. Sonia yeah, didn't even yeah, talk yeah. about sex. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and it can be a package deal, right? You know, you can get the second book, yeah. supplement the first book, there and you then go. you're going to have other answers. Indeed. And so the journey to here... Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Like, when I was first setting up this interview, I thought that we were going to be talking to each other from <laughs> the U.S. And I was like, oh, time zones. And I said, oh, you know, how about meeting times? Yeah. She is a little remote. She's somewhere called Dairy Flat. <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> you, like mean, you mean 40 minutes up the road? <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? Well, as is true with most of my life, it starts with some winding story long ago. Um, <laughs> I was invited to Aotearoa for the Auckland Writers Festival ah. back in 2009. Okay. Um, prior to that, I had met two people from here, both who ended up being delightful human beings in my life. Uh, an artist uh, named Penny Ashton, who the world is short, so <laughs> some, I'm certain some of your listeners know Penny. She's a fantastic uh, theater performer and comedian. And um, Tusiata um, Avia, who's an amazing poet in Aotearoa. And I met both of them at festivals right. in the world. Uh, and so Penny invited me uh, as part of her Poetry Slam event for the amazing. festival. And so that's how I got here in 2009, and I was immediately smitten. I was like, I really love this place. Uh, I want to figure out how to get back right. uh, and so in 2016 I decided to gift myself um, a trip uh, for a month to Aotearoa at the time I was also sort of like courting new places to live right. <laughs> I you know I kind of already had the foresight of where the U.S. was going right. and I was like I don't want to be here for that that's mm. not what I want and so where do I want to go uh, and I got here and on the second day of my vacation um 
I ended up at a birthday party of a person who I did not know at the time. A friend in the U.S. was like, I have a friend in New Zealand. And because New Zealand is small yes. in such a way that you can say that and you probably can find that person. Yeah. Uh, so she was local. I went to her birthday party and she was starting to do recruitment for a fellowship that was bringing social impact entrepreneurs working on sort of global change projects. Oh, that would be you. <laughs> to Aotearoa. And I said, well, that would be me. <laughs> She's like, well, I'll send you the interest letter. Uh, and from that conversation, um, by the, the last day of my visit, I ended up meeting with the CEO of the fellowship. Right. Two months later, I came back for, oh, wow. they invited me back for a conference to speak at their conference. Two months after that, the applications came out. Two months after that, I got accepted. And four months after that, I moved to New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. It um, all happened very fast. <laughs> you were courting the idea of going elsewhere. What other countries were on your radar? Well, you know, I hadn't. I mean, I would say New Zealand was probably first. Right. I had bought a book, and it was called Getting Out, the <laughs> How to Become an Expat in the U.S. Right. And so I was, at the time, sort of exploring where could I go, Um and New Zealand was my first location. It was the wow. first place that I had sort of set. It was the first place that I had been to that I thought, hmm, I could live here. Right. And so I was like, well, it'll be the first place I test out. And, and it just happened to be that it was the last place. <laughs> and so how do you run everything you're doing? Because you obviously yeah. have a hell of a lot going on outside of New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot of complicated uh, time zones. There are sometimes talks at 5 a.m. Tomorrow yeah. I think I have one at 6.45. Uh, so there's a lot of navigating time zone stuff. But it's been, you know, what's been amazing, blessing of COVID, if, if yeah. you can call COVID. You know, actually, I think there are a lot of fascinating ways in which we could look at COVID like a blessing and a curse, right? It's all of these. Yep. Um, but one of them has been that creating a world that's very digital yes. works, <clears throat> yeah. you know, works really well for me being in other places. And so um, most of my stuff has moved to online. I can talk to anybody, any place, like I said, often in my purple bathrobe. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's been really uh, made it much more easeful. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a lot of coordination. I've, I have this year... I brought on an assistant, my executive assistant, who is more like the operations director and all kinds of other things. Um, and then I have an editorial and social media manager. And so, you know, they're all in different locations, right? which has been complex. And, you know, I told I had a meeting to kind of begin to figure out, all right, what is the appropriate business structure for all of these things yeah. that are going on? And it was the most intense, time-intensive, people-heavy meeting I've ever had in my life. I was like, it takes eight people in, in four different countries. And basically, I should be Google for the amount of work it takes to figure out how to run how to run this operation with me here and all these other places, people in the world. Um, but we're figuring it out. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that going on right now. Yes. Figuring it out. Figuring it out. I think that's the season we're in. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. And so for the work that you do here, if anybody wanted to get to experience, because I know you do workshops online. And yeah. I saw this morning, I think I missed a, a dance online. Oh, yes. I, I was watching the clock and then somebody rang me. I was like, oh, no, I want to do it. What yeah. was that? So I've been hosting um, an event called Radical Movement uh, since January. Yeah. Uh, three days a week. Basically, there's an instructor every week and 
they come and they teach a dance class. And Amazing. sometimes that is, you know, I've learned flamenco, I've learned disco, <laughs> I've learned, uh, you know, all kinds of fantastic, like, Caribbean dances. It, it's been lovely. And so... We've been running that every week for the last, like, since January. And this is actually the last week I'm hosting. It is turning into a, because the people who've come loved it so much, they were like, we don't want it to end. And I was like, great. Well, then keep it going. (laughs) And so now they are going to run a community-led, a radical movement that is sponsored by The Body is Not an Apology, but is community-led. And so uh, it'll still be happening. And my hunch is right now it'll probably be at the same time it's been, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, in two weeks or so, we'll be clear about sort of time and all of that good stuff. But it's been this beautiful, inspired, I really, again, in my, (laughs) in my enlist other people to do the thing I'm probably not going to do if I have to do it by myself. I was like, I really do need to move at least three times a week. (laughs) How do I do that? Well, if I make something for the community, then I'm obligated to it. There's a responsibility in that. That's how I'm going to guarantee some exercise. And so that's it. it. That's perfect. And now you've got a dog. And now I have a dog. So you have to walk. Yes. Baldwin is like, take me to the beach or I will eat all your plants. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, let's go to the beach, friend. Very cool. And that's even more anchoring here, right? Yeah. Mm. it's. I mean, right now my life is the most place-based it has been. And I can't really name the last time I felt this. You know, my last dog who passed away last year, she was, you know, know, two and a half kgs. Uh, And so (laughs) she was very transportable. And so, you know, I got her at eight weeks and our life was on the road. She had a little brown handbag and we just traveled. She probably had more, you know, passport stamps than most humans. She was a go dog. And Baldwin is not a go dog. I took him to the city and he lost his mind. He was terrified. (laughs) He was like, what is happening? I had to carry him and he's big. (laughs) He was like, I'm not, he is not a like, you know, he's not a, no, he's not a travel dog. That's not his life. And so I was like, oh, I guess I just really kind of picked a place and I'm sitting down, I guess. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. It's not a bad place to be right now. Not at all. And so in terms of actual, do you still run workshops or? So I don't so much run, I mean, occasionally I do workshops. Most of of the work that I do um, are organizations reaching out and saying, hey, we'll coordinate, you know, the thing. Can you come and do the thing? And so I do a lot of those still. Um, Mostly, I've got some new projects that are kind of being cooked up, which I'm excited about. Um, and, you know, doing some speaking engagements. But there isn't a, like, open to the public, no. come hang out thing right now. But that doesn't mean that there that isn't one. Be. Yeah. yeah. Any of the cooking going on that you want to talk about? Or should uh, we just watch this space? Oh, no, sure. I'll talk about some of I mean, some of it's very anticipatory. So I am super interested in getting back into the art space. I really oh. kind of been missing that world. And so it looks like I'll be dabbling in some local theater. Oh. And so there may be some projects coming up here in Aotearoa. Um, I'm working in collaboration with a organization, BCA, Black Creatives Aotearoa, run by Dione Joseph. Um, that's fantastic, wonderful space. And so she's a playwright and dramaturgist and director. And uh, I'm in an upcoming production that she's doing. So that's going to be fun. Um, I'm working on another uh, theater project, actually, that's going to be U.S.-based. We are, myself and a collective of five other black women are co-writing a production that is an adaptation um, of a historical slave rebellion narrative um, uh, called, uh, which 
the um, slave rebellion at Igbo Landing, um, which in its sort of folklore is about some enslaved Africans who were taken um, and then they overturned the ship. Uh, and historically, it's recounted as the largest um, mass suicide. They all jumped back into the water. Um, but the folklore retelling is actually that they flew. Ah. They flew home. And so we are retelling that story um, from the perspective of five characters who were on that boat. Wow. Uh, so we're, we are in the process of writing and developing that now. Um, and then I am doing a collaborative educational project um, with uh, my friend Adrian Marie Brown, who's a brilliant uh, activist, thinker, liberationist. She um, wrote the book Pleasure Activism and Emergent Strategies, and We Will Not Cancel Us. And she's got just, she's an amazing writer. And so we are building. Um, what we're calling the Institute of Radical Permission, uh, <laughs> um, which will likely be a sort of multi-month um, coursework that's really about embodiment and practice. Mm -hmm. How do we live into um, to the highest versions of ourselves? And where are the places where we haven't given ourselves permission to be our most expansive, mm -hmm. most brilliant versions? And what are the embodiment exercises, tools, and teachings that we can employ to really unlock that permission to wow. be our fullest self. So that's something that we are doing in collaboration with Barrett Kohler, um, my publisher, that'll be early 2022. That's a busy year for you next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's looking like it. Um, probably have to get you back. Yeah. And have, <laughs> I want to hear some of those questions from the kids. Absolutely. I think that would be really Oh, I'd fun. love to do that. Yeah, I'd love we could to just that. have some and maybe invite others. I'd love that. Yeah. I'd love that. Cool. Is there anything we haven't talked together about today that you think we should have um well next time let's talk about more sex <laughs> <laughs> i know right we're sex in space i guess the point is um you know it's such a big subject absolutely the body absolutely and absolutely. identity and culture and language and words but yeah, yeah pleasure and um permission yeah. and radical self-love these things are all they're necessary so yeah. part of it yeah, but yeah absolutely. we can definitely talk about sex yeah <laughs> and also that incredibly sexy picture of you on the front of your book Ooh, well thank you oh, my Lord. <laughs> i love it thank you you know with um guests we have a little astronaut that we create um with your face in one of the little traveling sex in space astronauts i feel like you I, should probably listen, be just, <laughs> i was gonna say just put the helmet on me yeah, and yeah, leave yeah. the body <laughs> Just, yes, leave the body floating in space. I'm totally here for that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank um, you. It's a real pleasure. A delight. Yeah, a total delight. The start of lots. Yay. Really hope you enjoyed that. If you need more Sonia in your life, then head over to soniarenetaylor.com for all the info on her amazing work, her books. You can follow her on social. There's live poetry, recordings. It's a real feast. Once you've done all that and explored Sonia's world and all she has to offer. If you fancy leaving us a little old five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be really great. Massive, massive thanks to all our guests, the team at String Theory, and to you for making it all the way to the end. Join me soon for an epic chat that I had with some Kiwi sex toy entrepreneurs. But until then, bye. If you found some of this material a little challenging, keep coming back and we'll make it really challenging.